Tips for Teaching 3D Printing, straight from the 3D Printing Enthusiasts, next on the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast. I'm Pius Wong, engineer in Austin, Texas. My guests are David Sito and Michael Welch. Between the two of them, David and Michael taught 3D printing to kids in Hong Kong and elsewhere, and they turned their experiences into a set of guidebooks for teachers and hobbyists titled The 3D Printing Cookbook. We had a call recently to talk about it. Hey, welcome to the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast, David Sito and Michael Welch. And you're both authors of The 3D Printing Cookbook. That's right. Uh, give me a brief background, I guess, or brief introduction of who uh, each of you are and where you are, actually, because I know we're speaking in different locations. Uh, David, maybe you can go first. Okay, thank you, Pais. Uh First of all, thank you for inviting us to be here. Um, mm-hmm. We really, really appreciate this. I'm probably not your typical uh, interview uh, in the sense that I'm not a STEM teacher in the traditional sense at all. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not a teacher at all. I come from a very, very far away background. I, I'm actually in Hong Kong right now. And uh, I ended up in Hong Kong by way of uh, New York City, where I grew up and where I, where I got an MBA in finance. And I worked on Wall Street as an analyst. And then I spent uh, almost 10 years in Hong Kong, here in Hong Kong as, as a banker for a big bank, also as a financial analyst. And then it was another uh, seven, eight years in Beijing where I was the CFO for a, for a small company. And so when my daughter was born, uh, something amazing happened. And actually all of this happened while it was in Beijing. Mm. Uh, number one, I met... Michael, <laughs> Michael Welch, the yeah. co-author. And also at that same time, it was like 19, uh, sorry, sorry. It was 2003 or, or four or something like that. So, so as a banker, we would read The Economist magazine. So there was one issue of The Economist magazine that had a photograph of a violin. And the caption at the bottom says, this is a 3D printed Stratus violin. And it plays beautifully. So that was, for me, that was my light bulb moment. And uh, I thought, wow, what is this technology that can produce a Stradivarius violin? It was amazing. So at the time, I was Michael. And I asked Michael, what is this 3D printing stuff? And he goes, yeah, that's like super cool stuff. It's like, you know, imagine a 3D printer that can 3D print another 3D printer. Yeah. And that was another light bulb moment <laughs> for me. And I thought, whoa, what is this going on? So at the time, I was, I was the CFO for a company. And, and, but but I, I started researching this. I mean, you know, the Economist magazine article was the first. And then I started. And then there was, the, uh, there was this explosion in 3D printing um, conferences, which I attended. Mm-hmm. And so it just got me, you know, one step to, led it to another. And I started getting, getting more into the, the, the CAD, the 3D printing software that creates 3D models for 3D printing. And so I just hacked myself. I just learned it. I just learned the software as much as I can. I learned one. I, in fact, I learned several software, which ultimately, you know, told me, it was, okay, after, after I leave finance, I'm definitely going to try 3D printing, uh, t- teaching 3D printing. So that's sort of like how I got involved in 3D printing. Wow. So self-taught in 3D printing from, from nearly 20 years ago. Uh, like 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Okay. And, uh, it sounds like Michael already knew about 3d printing at the time as well. Michael, do you mind talking about your background too? 
Yeah, so uh, so my background is kind of in design and technology. Um, so I used to run a mobile games company in China. Hmm. And so at a lot of conferences, we'd see like 3D printed avatars and things like this. Um, and so we got a, kind of exposed to it a little bit early. And I always thought it was interesting. I wasn't sure where it was going or how fast it was going. Uh, and David came and asked me about it, like he said. And, you know, I thought, oh, it's actually pretty cool and has really great long-term potential, I think. And I didn't think much of it after that. And then David started doing all this stuff with 3D printing. And then after a while, I got a little bit bored of games and kind of wanted to do something more, uh, how do you say, without in-app purchases in it. Um, <laughs> so, um, so uh, yeah, so I started looking at education as kind of a good application of gaming stuff. And Dave was involved in uh, teaching 3D printing in schools. And I just kind of talked to him about it and got involved and uh I actually did some classes here in the States uh, with a, with uh, elementary school kids, uh, third and fourth graders. And it was just amazing. It was, it was like really, it was much easier than I thought. I mean, I was kind of following the recipes and everything, but um, just the stuff they would do, like, uh, you know, you couldn't imagine. Like, uh, like this one kid, he was making a ring and he would just, he put a battery on it, like a double A battery because he thought it was cool. Very uber geek guy, but um <laughs> But anyway, um, so yeah, so I just got interested in it with Dave uh, after he kind of started doing this education, young kids, 3D printing classes, and I thought it was uh, something worth doing. That's awesome. Yeah. And so I know David said he's in Hong Kong right now. Y'all met in mm -hmm. Beijing. We should say, Michael, that you're in the States right now too, right? Yeah, that's right. I'm in Seattle, yeah, just outside of Seattle. Got it. And it sounds like you both are self-taught in mm -hmm. this tech field, which is pretty awesome. I actually think that's really similar to a lot of the teachers who might be listening. There's a ton of teachers who have to teach engineering and they never had an engineering background. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, I know you summarized it really quickly, both of you, right? But were there any challenges along the way in learning how to use the software, how the technology worked, the costs of it all? Like what was complicated about uh, picking that skill up? Oh, that's Maybe a very good that's a very good question. Yeah, David, you can start. Yeah, yeah so, so um, when I first started learning the software myself, I mean, YouTube is your friend. I mean, you just go to YouTube and uh, go through the videos. Uh, now, it takes time. Now, it, as it turns out that um, I'm in sort of in a lucky position because, because of my work in the past, I was able to sort of have some savings available so that I can actually take some time off. Mm. To, uh, to, to hack through the software. I mean, literally hacking through the software. Um, now, when, when I speak to other teachers, uh, when I teach at a school, there are full-time STEM teachers there. And I, and I show them what I do, and, and they go, man, David, that takes time. There's like no way I can go through all that material. I mean, you, you have the time. I don't have time. And, and that's actually a reality, I believe, of STEM teachers. There. They're just mm -hmm. so crunched on time. Which is why we, we thought, okay, I needed to do a couple of things. So, so number one, make this transfer, the skill transfer of, of learning the CAD as smooth as possible. And one of the best ways of doing that is to make it uh, a, a good reference, to have a good ref a point of reference, right? And, and that's why we chose the theme of the cookbook, right? Because everybody knows what a cookbook is. So there are direct parallels between uh, using CAD to create a 3D model and making, for example, uh, chocolate chip cookies. Right. You, when you open up the software, of course, it's very intimidating. You know what to do. But if I tell you, look, these are the mouse clicks. These are the tools you need 
in the CAD software, right? And those are basically, those are your ingredients. And then you follow these steps and mouse click by mouse click, you will uh, mix and match these ingredients in this particular way. And in the end, you will get your model. Okay. And that's why this cookbook is set up the way it is, right? There, there's a, in fact, there's a photo of the final product, like, you know, just like in a cookbook, they, there are a list of the ingredients, the list of the tools, and then there are the steps uh, to, to make the model. And then there's like 10, you know, anywhere from uh, 10 to 15 steps. We've designed it so that these models can be done in about three minutes. So when, as a teacher, if you're teaching this, right, you, if you know the mouse clicks, you should be able to make every one of these models in about three, th- around three to four minutes. Hmm. Uh, and, and that's how that's how I teach. So before a class session, right? I will I will have okay. Today I'll cover, for example, the table, uh, as well as the cup, right? So I'll just quickly make sure that uh, you know the Tinkercad or the Fusion three hundred and sixty is working properly. Uh, and so I will uh, open it up and then I'll just you know run it through myself. And usually, I, yeah, I, at this point I've memorized all the steps and I just recreate it. And I just know how to do it. So when I Go to the class. I can just say, "Okay, follow me, everyone." So, mouse, mouse suite will follow me. So, and, and that's generally how I run the class. Now, the ultimate goal of the book is not for the students to learn how to know how to do that table or to do that cup. Okay, I want them to take those skills, the ingredients from those models, and apply to their own models. Sure. Right. In fact. Pretty much every model that I teach, I sit at the end, I say, okay, table's done. Now delete it and do it again, right? The cup is done. Delete it and do it again, okay? Because the more um, familiar they are with the ingredients, with the uh, mouse clicks, the faster they can use it to make their own bottles. And that's really, really my ultimate goal. Hmm. So your new book, The 3D Printing Cookbook, it seems like you are trying to simplify all of this stuff. I guess we should mention that you have been teaching in person, and and that's what your book is based off of, right? Yes, your correct. Own okay. Yeah. So actually, this is our uh, this is a uh, Michael and mine uh, COVID project. Uh, <laughs> before before uh, COVID, I mean, I was I was able to teach about five hundred students here in Hong Kong in multiple uh, after school classes in uh, several schools in here in Hong Kong. And I just loved it. I, I mean, I just uh, you know, it also turns out that uh, Michael and I both have. Uh, children mm-hmm. of similar age around oh my daughter's around 10 uh, michael's a, is, is about the same yeah. so when i teach at my daughter's school it's it's just fun to see her once in a while and then we come home and we we can talk about what happened in class in fact she my daughter likes it so much she actually joins the class and i she, i'm sort of training her to be an assistant uh, <laughs> wow. as well and then you gotta pay her i guess uh more or less yeah <laughs> <laughs> And so, Michael, since you're not in Hong Kong, are, had you been teaching? You said you taught a little bit in the States. Were you yeah. also teaching with the same kind of curriculum? Yeah. So, so I was using the same kind of curriculum um, that Dave had. So it's basically the same recipes that are in the book. Um, and I think one of the key things is like, while it's it's three minutes to five minutes for a, you know, for you to do it as a teacher, um, you know, it, it might take the kids like 10, 15 minutes, you know, as you're managing a class full of kids to kind of yeah. go through all the recipes. So that's why, you know, the, the tools are kept pretty, uh, the models are kept pretty simple. And then also the kind of different tools you use are kind of spread out among all the different models. 
So it's like you really get a little bit of this, and then you do another model, you get a little bit of that, and then you can kind of start to blend them together. So yeah, I, I just think uh, teaching was was wonderful. I mean, it's just I, I I actually went in with another STEM teacher that was there, and I just kind of did her STEM class for three D printing. Hmm. So she had other stuff, and so I just came in and did the three D printing part, and that was really cool because they had a mothballed three D printer in the school. I think a, a lot of schools bought them. But it was sitting in the library underneath some kind of reams of paper. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So um, so we were able to get it out and get it started and, and, and get it printing. So I thought that was uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, and then later I kind of trained her on kind of how to keep moving it forward. Mm. That was cool. That's a good point. I've heard this discussion or the, that point made by other people about technology in schools that it just kind of might collect dust if there's no expertise or confidence about it. Um, so that's that's great that you have this resource here that hopefully can spread the knowledge more. You already started talking about the book, but let's get into the details, I guess. If you had to summarize the purpose of the 3D printing cookbook, um, what would you say it is? Is there like a, a mission or a, a per, one line purpose of it? Yes, for me, uh, it's to save time. Uh, it, it really is to say, I know, t- I, I know, because, uh, you know, I only teach after school and I run to teachers all the time and they're always busy. I just, I've just, I, feel, I, I admire them so much. It's like, man, these guys are so busy. And, and when I learned this CAD software, it just took so much time. So the whole point of this book is to save teachers time. And then, you know, one of the side benefits is that if, if the teachers go through the lessons with the students, the students will learn the software well enough so that they can create their own models. Hmm. So it's, it's a massive time saver. And, and please note, it's actually two books. So Michael, Michael and I delivered twin. We didn't do one book. <laughs> it, was, it was twins. <laughs> okay. There's one book, uh, the 3D printing cookbook, Tinkercad edition. And this is designed for uh, students age eight to 11, right? These are the primary school kids. And then there's a 3D printing cookbook, Fusion 360 edition. And this is for students age 11 and higher. And so what would you say the difference is between Tinkercad and Fusion 360 for any teachers who haven't used CAD or they haven't done uh, 3D printing yet? Tinkercad is really child-friendly. Uh, it's lots of, it's very colorful. There's a lot of pre-made shapes already done for you. So, so that's Tinkercad. It's really for younger, you know, total, total beginners. Okay. Ooh. And when you see an eight-year-old working with it, it's actually kind of fun. I really, I really, I'm jealous of them. In fact, I really shall, I wish I was an eight, uh, an eight-year-old. Um, yeah, I, I would add a uh, Tinkercad is kind of like Legos or, or Minecraft. I think it's super easy and super approachable. Mm. Right. Would you give that for older Tinkercad to any older students, college students, or is that too juvenile? Actually, that, that, that's a good, that's an interesting question, Pipe, because um, I also teach adults. And then I gauge the, uh, the level of interest for the adults. Uh, and if, if, they, if I find they're sort of like they're not really tech savvy, I will teach Tinkercad. Yes. Mm. But tech-savvy people, I will teach uh, Fusion 360. Yeah. I, I think even for tech-savvy people, sometimes they will fall back to Tinkercad just because they know the tools available can make it really fast. Um, yes. You know, yeah. And if, if they know they're not going to need the advanced features of Fusion 360, they'll just go ahead and do it in Tinkercad because it's so easy. Yeah it, yeah, it also depends on the model. Yeah, sometimes I need to do something really fast, and I will just use uh, Tinkercad. 
but Fusion 360 is uh, is is it's it's industrial use. I mean, it's actually yeah. used in industry right now. Autodesk has a policy where they um, all all their software is free for education use. So you can when you when you apply for an account, you just tell them which school you're at, and you know if you if your email has a .edu at the end, they, they usually grant you access. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, David, because the big hot topic, of course, today is access to STEM education or access to all these things. And of course, if people think Fusion 360 is like this super expensive thing, that's that's not going to yes. help with access. Mm-hmm. But so something else I was wondering was then, would you say that your your guidebooks or your books are mainly for the teachers or is this something you would hand to students as well? Because can the students just do it on their own and download Fusion 360 and just handle it on their own? Or or you're really expecting someone to guide the, the kids through? Um, I think students can do this on their own as well. It's like, it's another beauty of calling it a cookbook, right? A cookbook, you can, you know, a parent can use the contents of a cookbook or the children can use it. It's, it, it's, it's both. Okay. But I'm speaking, I wrote the book from the point of view of a teacher because the, the front section of the book is all about, uh, especially for teachers who never really played with a 3D printer, right? It explains what do you got to do. Okay. Now that you've created this model, what do you have to do to, you know, convert that file uh, into, a, 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 into a file that a 3D printer can read? Okay, because they're actually different files, right? There's a there's an STL file which converts into a G code file, and then if you put the G code file into the 3D printer, so there, there's a conversion process. And I mentioned in the book that you know hopefully one day the 3D printing industry will fix that, right? So that that conversion step doesn't need to happen at all. I mean, it could just all be done direct from you know just like in a Word file, you can just print, you can just press print. And it'll go straight to the printer, but right now it's 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 not there yet. There's that extra step. Yeah, I I would also add that I think uh, one of the things we tried to do with the book was really kind of combine, you know, what is three D printing and and how to kind of design three you know, how to do three D modeling for three D printing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we teach them about some of the physical limitations of three D printing and what are the gotchas uh, with the machines themselves, because I, I think that's a, a lot of the kind of initial difficulty or initial initial kind of uh, roadblocks to getting familiar with 3d printing is is how do you get a good print mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and and we, we take teachers through that as well as actually taking them through the 3d software so um you know, we try to marry the two together i'm glad you mentioned that because half the battle is just figuring out like oh what's the best way to orient this and how do you make a model so it doesn't take forever to print? And yeah, and the great part about uh, actually teaching this, I think, is it also you know it opened up like okay, we got to teach kids about gravity a little bit because things are going to droop, you know, and things like that. And we're giving them the you know what is the real world physics of something that is going to make this print work or not. So that was very cool. Yeah, there oftentimes the kids. Okay, okay, this this part is very interesting. I think. Okay, so. Uh, humans are very used to looking at computer screens, right? And that's really kind of like, in my view, it's like 2D. And you, you, when you create a model, you need to switch to looking at things in 3D. You really have to look at your model all around, okay? Because oftentimes you sort of default back to the 2D view, and then you create this model and you, have, you put this, you know, for example, you put a hat on the top of a head, and then it looks like the hat is 
attached to the head. But then you, when you rotate the monitor, you realize, oh, this hat is floating in midair. It's, so I call them floaters. And actually, this happens a lot. And I, I tell the kids, look, you think you finished, but look at it again. It's not finished. Your, your hat cannot be floating <laughs> in midair. So, so that, 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 that happens so, so many times. Hmm. I have like several questions in my head. I, I wanted to follow up with something that you said a little while ago. You said you both have kids mm-hmm. and I mean, you're in different locations. And you also mentioned that you, David, in particular, you mentioned that you involve the parents and the, ki- the kids together if possible. I'm curious how that has worked out because I'm always used to hearing teachers teaching their kids or, or usually the parents are just the ones who drop them off to the after school program or something. Oh, right, how do you, right, right. yeah. How do you get parents involved in the kids learning? And I don't know if it's, if Michael, you want to jump in, if you do things differently, but uh, David, I guess if you could start. Well, here, here in Hong Kong, uh, there are some maker spaces. And so once in a while I will run workshops at these maker spaces that are, uh, um, you know, parent child classes. So the parent comes in with their child and a laptop. And once they have that, I can, you know, we, we, I can learn classes like that. So, so the parent and the child can work together, learning the CAD, making the models, going through these models. So, yeah, I, I, I've done those as well. Are there any challenges to that? Uh, no. They, Is it they, any different? It's, it's, it's uh, well, it's different in the sense that you have an adult and they, adults do learn a little bit faster than the children. Uh, but it's also interesting. The adults are not as creative as the children. The children, <laughs> and actually, it's really true. Kids are more creative than adults. Interesting. Uh, so it depends on the pair. It's like some some pairs. The parent is more dominant, and you know, will just follow the instructions. And then other situations where the parent will just let the child take the mouse, you know, go go crazy, and yeah, you get some really interesting models from that. That's cool, Michael. Do you involve parents? Where you are. Uh, and the school that I was dealing with, um, it was a little bit different. Um, it, it was uh, mainly an after-school program. Uh, so the kids were generally there by themselves. Mm-hmm. Oh, you mentioned uh, parents and children. Yes, this book is also for homeschool. And this, this is uh, perfect as well. And in fact, for homeschool, now here's a special situation, right? You, you may not have access to a 3D printer, right? Right. Uh, but so what you do is you just go to Google and you type in 3D printing service in your neighborhood, right? Well, you type in the name of your neighborhood and then you will be surprised how many 3D printers are available in your neighborhood, which you can just sort of uh, rent out, quote unquote, rent out, right? I wasn't aware that I just learned of that like relatively recently. Is that, would you say it's as common in Hong Kong as it is here in the States? Oh, it's very common. <laughs> it's very yeah. common. It's, 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 it's a great way. Like if you want to save yourself the the, the trouble of kind of 3D printing every week, uh, you know, all of the, all the models, uh, mm-hmm. you can just send them to a service bureau and, and it works pretty well. It's all online, just submit a file and you get it in the mail like a, maybe a week later or so. Right. No, that's cool. And I also know that some public libraries have some services, but I don't know how crowded Correct. they are. Yeah. And something I saw in the introduction to one of your books, the Fusion 361, I don't know if it's the same in the other, but uh, you, talk, <clears throat> you mentioned doing groups versus individual projects like when you're teaching these students oh, yes. are the students going to be paired up are they going to be working right. in small groups uh you make the recommendation of having them learn individually and i'm wondering why that is okay 
Um, for me, it's a function of the children's age um, because I teach as young as eight. Mm-hmm. And teamwork at that age is, it, I just, I, I, in fact, I've tried it. It, it just didn't work. Uh, they, they just don't want to work with each other. I guess, I mean, I, I think, to be honest, every child probably has their own iPad or a laptop at home or some kind of Chromebook at home. And they're just used to doing things on their own at this age. And so, you know, I, while I hear that, you know, yeah, in the schools, there's a strong emphasis on group projects, group projects. No, I, I'm not against group projects. I'm just saying that because of such a young age and because they're only just learning the basics, right, it's okay for them to learn the basics on their own, right? Because just learn the basic, the, the basic tools at this point in time. So let them learn the tools first. And then when they get older, they can start doing projects together. In fact, actually, that's something I want to emphasize because this is this is not a, a STEM or a STEAM book, right? I, I don't cover, you know, science or, or, or mathematics or anything like that. It's just 3D printing. So my hope is that these children learn the tools well enough so that when they do do uh, group projects at an older age, and, and when you do do the group projects, 3D printing is only a portion of it. Yep. It's only a small portion of it. So when they get to that point, I want them to already know the tools that they need to make the 3D print or the 3D model for the 3D print as part of that project. And I'm curious, Michael, if you had any uh, thoughts on that as well. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so, so what, what I did uh, in my classes, so, you know, again, each child had their own laptop, so they, they were making their own model. Uh, but they were generally at tables of two. Uh, so you would, you know, I would try to, after the first course, I kind of figured out who was kind of a little bit better, maybe faster, you know, at kind of getting the material and who was maybe having problems like navigating the 3d space or something like that. And I would try to pair them together. Uh, so at least even though they're working on individual computers, there's kind of sharing, you know, knowledge sharing between them. So uh, I think there are opportunities for a little bit of minor kind of teamwork, you know, I just in the kind of, uh, sharing knowledge way i guess mm-hmm. oh you know michael michael mentions uh, something i think very important as a teacher right so in my class i have uh 12 students and even though i'm going through the steps of a recipe the kids do learn at different speeds right yep. uh and 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 because they're 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 splitting their attention between the screen in front of them and the screen that the overhead projector screen which is what the, what they're trying to follow they're invariably going to be some students that have missed a step, right? So for me, I've learned sort of like the hard way. That is very important to have the recipe, to give each child a copy of the recipe, hmm. right? It's just one page. And in fact, it, at, it's one of the appendices in, at, our book, at the back of our book. If you, if you either cut out or photocopy this page, they can follow step by step, right? So such that the kids that are um, slower and they get lost, they can always go back to the step. Or they can say, Mr. Cito, I'm lost. I'm lost. And I say, okay, what step are you at? He goes, oh, I got lost at step three. So I may be at step four or five, right? So let's, so I will go, I will stop teaching. I will go to that student and I'll say, okay, let's quickly do step three. And I can just show them right there and then how step three, he learns step three and he catches up to the rest of the class or step four. There are some students that are very good, right? They already sort of uh, know it. And so they can actually go to step six or seven, or they can actually just do the, the model all the way through if they want. 
Mm -hmm. So you were designing it to be kind of flexible. Yes. You don't have to follow Uh, this recipe as if like everyone has to be on step one at the exact same time or whatever. Exactly. And and when I say I learned the hard way, it's because before I gave out that one page handouts, it was, you know, it was like, you know, 12 kids, three of them raised their hands. They go, I'm lost. And other kids says, I'm lost. And I go, what step are you on? I go, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's, it, it's because it's, it's not really their fault. It's because they're sort of yeah. dividing their attention between their screen, their own laptop screen and, and, the, and the overhead projector. So it's, it's I don't totally blame them. Uh, but, but it is, you know, for the teachers out there, please pr- print out those recipes, give one to each student. It, it will it will save you that situation where, you know, you have five kids raising their hands and, and, and you're just running around. It just calmed it just calmed the whole class significantly after I, I did that. And you're both talking about the the sessions that you were teaching in person. I want to go back also to the fact that this is kind of your COVID project. Have you all been teaching during this pandemic? Uh no. <laughs> We've uh, been writing. And so you haven't been doing online classes, anything like that? No, we, we uh, actually, Michael and I looked into online classes and it, it's actually, it doesn't work the way our teaching style is mm-hmm. because we do need to sort of, I mean, the, the kids will get stuck and we do Ooh. need to take over their mouse uh, at, 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 you know, during the class. Yeah. And, oh, there's nothing I should mention. So when, when at the end of the class, well, sorry, not at the end of the class, it's sort of like, um, halfway through the class, I will have covered the model for the day, right? And then I say, okay, kids, you guys learn some of the tools. You can begin to make your own model. So they'll take the second half of the class to start working on their own models. Now, many of these kids actually finish uh, their model. And at the end of the class, they'll say, Mr. Seed, I'm finished. So what I do is I will take um, all the models that are finished. This is after class. Mm-hmm. I will review all their models and I will, uh, I will assess whether or not their models are 3D printable or not. And if they are, I put them into a queue. And, the, and this queue actually builds up over time. At the beginning, they don't produce so many models on their own. But right. by, you know, by, you know, when the class is about halfway through or 80% of the way through there, every child is making their own model. Some make two or three during class. And so I, what I do is I put them into a queue such that I have to, and I will 3D print all their models by the next class, which is usually a week away. So that could be, you know, usually that's like any from 30 to 35 models that I need to print in a week's time. So I be, sort of become like a little mini factory. Yeah, because you got to clean them up and do, or are they doing that? Are they doing oh, all the post uh, processing? For the post, okay. First of all, I have to make sure that I'm, I'm, printing as many as I can, as quickly as I can. So I got myself a really large printer, uh, 300 by 300 by 400, such mm-hmm. that I can, pr- I can 3D print like anywhere from 10 to 12 at one time. Okay. And of course it has to work, right? Cause I've had my, uh, share of experience such that, you know, in the middle of the night, cause these things will take seven or eight hours or even 10 mm-hmm. hours. To print. So in the yeah. middle of the night, it will just turn into a big bowl of spaghetti. Okay. And I got to do it again. But after uh, it's all done, I do some post-processing work. I, I, I remove some of the support material. But sometimes uh, the children tell me, Mr. Sita, why did you remove the support materials? I said, oh, I thought I'm supposed to do that. I go, no, no, I want to do that. So next time, please let me do it. So I just, I don't have to, I don't have to worry about that. I just give it. Yeah, I was curious, actually, like, especially when you're dealing with younger students in these in-person classes, how much are they touching and manipulating the 3D printer and, you know, all the little parts? 
Is that part of the course as well, or is it mostly the software that you're focusing on uh, in your class and in the book? For for this method of teaching, it's uh, 99% the software. Got it. Uh, because they're just too young. I don't want you know eight year olds touching the printer. I mean, especially if <laughs> I need to do, especially if I need to do like you know thirty models a week. I, I, yeah. I, I, I that's that's kind of a bigger risk. And and the other thing is this. Um, th- it goes back to the cooking analogy. These printers are just really slow. So they're just. I mean, it, it's like watching bread or cookies bake in the oven. You know, it's kind of interesting for like two minutes, but afterwards you go, okay, uh, what else? Well, I've got a, this is totally unrelated. I've got a side thing. I actually really find it satisfying to look at bread baking in the oven and also, (laughs) and also 3D printers running. Like I just want it, you know how there's TV channels where you just look at a fireplace. (laughs) I just want a TV channel or a Twitch stream or something where I can see stuff being 3D printed or baking in the oven. I just really like it. So I think there's something to be said. For that well you you're 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 a rational adult these are well i wouldn't say they're irrational kids but they're kids right they're, they're just yeah, yeah. jumping around all over the place <laughs> yeah that, 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 that said like uh, i think uh on the first class like uh you know we, we make sure to have a or at least i make sure to have a, a printer running kind of printing a model they can see how it works um and you let it run for a while and eventually like okay it's kind of slow. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> there's there's not that much for them to see after a little while. Yeah. But, but, but I, I do agree with David. They, they really like taking the support material off. That's like, it's kind of like an unwrapping a present or something. You know, it's, mm. it's, it's really interesting for them. Oh, Pais, I, I do need to mention one other thing. So uh, our book uh, has several uh, links to the website. And one of the links is for an appendix such that uh, it's a handout for the teachers. So in my first class... Uh, usually the kids don't know anything about 3D printing, so I need to give them like a 10-minute lecture on what exactly the technology is. So I put together a presentation. It's a keynote uh, as well as a PowerPoint, which folks can download, um, that has some short videos. Uh, and actually, we're still trying to work on the bandwidth of that. Uh, it has some short videos that showcases different types of 3D printers. There's the ones that are, you know, we commonly see in schools. These are the FDM printers. But then there are also, you know, there's the, the uh, I call them resin printers. Uh, the SLS laser printers, The laser printers, right? The metal printers. Uh, there's food printers. Uh, there's powder printers. So I want them to get a sense that, oh, it's not just this thing that I see in front of me, which does plastic. It can do different materials. Mm-hmm. And also in the presentation, I actually um, mentioned uh, there's a 3D printer at MIT uh, that has uh, not one extruder head. It has um, 11 extruder heads, and it can take 14 different materials. Mm-hmm. And some of those materials can conduct electricity. And, and I tell them, look, you see, you know, if you want to 3D print a robot, Right, a working robot that has a that can you know has uh, electronic parts that can uh, has computer boards inside, etc. Then this is the machine that can do it one day. Right, they're still working on it. It's still it's just a prototype, but this is you know this is the the nature of the beast right now in terms of the technology. Right, it's it's growing. It's not just these little machines that sit on your desk doing plastic. It can do so many things. Uh, so what you guys 
as, as young students learning this modeling, it's, it's very important because you can actually become a designer one day, right? You can make your own industrial designs and the machines are there, you know, it'll, it'll provide the different materials, but you just need to understand what, what exactly are you designing? Like you're designing uh, a robot, right? It's got to have moving arms and legs and it has to be able to conduct electricity. So you should know that as, as a designer. Yeah. I, I think also uh, an interesting thing is like they're starting to be used across different industries. And so we really try to group the models into this kind of, you know, there's aerospace, there's robotics, there's food, you know, there's uh, even cosplay stuff. You know, you can just, you know, make models of some of the stuff your your characters in a video game or something like. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Not to interrupt, I just wanted to say that um, in, in the preview that I had seen, I appreciate, and based on what you're saying, I appreciate that you're your guide or your book is, it's not just the tutorials. It's like you're saying, it's kind of a little bit more comprehensive to try to show kids, you know, the context and and everything uh, related to it. And I guess before I forget, how would teachers preview uh, your book and your materials? Oh, they could just go to uh, www.3dprintingcookbook.com. And uh, there we uh, provide a, an opportunity for, for folks to download a free excerpt mm-hmm. and they can check it out. Uh, the excerpt is pretty much what I shared with you, uh, Pius. And so they can sort of get a sense of what the book would look like. So the book is available on Amazon on uh, June 18th, actually the two books. Uh, so, so please ha- you know, please go to the website, uh, 3dprintingcookbook.com and see which one is suitable for you. So once again, the Tinkercad one is for uh, kids age, eight to 11 and the fusion is for kids age 11 or older or or adults. Uh, And if adults want to give this a try, you can try both. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, they're, they're people friendly, I would say. Yeah. I I would add all also, even if you're not a teacher and you're just interested in 3d printing or trying it out, um, the excerpts are a great way to kind of get started and try, try out something in a very simple way. So, yeah. Yeah, there are plenty of non-educators who listen to just maybe business people like yourselves and and people Mm -hmm. doing other things and hobbyists. So they should all check it out. I know, Michael and uh, David, you were working together on this. Did you all have specialties in creating this book? Like, what did you all do in this project? Well, basically, I did the text part and Michael did the layout. Uh, yeah. And the layout is super important for okay. a cookbook. It's, it's actually <laughs> very important for a cookbook. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so I, I had a history in, in graphic design and, and other kinds of design, so it was kind of a natural that I, I worked on that part. So, um, yeah, I just tried to make it as friendly and something you could just kind of open up on your desk and have both both pages open without the book trying to close up on itself or anything, you know. Right. Um, actually, that kind of makes sense because – I guess you said earlier that you have a background in game design. I'm curious if this book has any um, comparisons to game manuals or something like that. Yeah, I, I, I would say it's. Uh, I would say it's more like a cookbook, you know. Um, in that okay, sense, they, like, yeah. I, I, I model it after like an old Betty Crocker cookbook, to be honest. Oh wow! Um, Updated a little bit. Um, but, uh, but the idea of being something you can sit beside your tools or beside your workspace and you can kind of just look at it very easily, big text, you know, and just follow along, um, very approachable, not like a textbook, not like a O'Reilly book or anything, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. something that's like super easy, gives teachers confidence that they can do it because I think a a lot of books out there, they just get technical really quick. And I, I think sometimes that's, that might turn people off. 
Yeah, the worst would be if it's just a wall of text and yeah. like screenshots. It's not the yep. best, but this is not that. Also, uh, this is kind of unrelated, but you all said mm -hmm. that you had been in China and Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. I'm always curious how STEM education, engineering education, how it compares in different places, because I have my American bubble, my Texas bubble. Sure. Um, how would you say the enthusiasm for engineering education, STEM education, and 3D printing, how would that compare uh, in China and Hong Kong uh, compared mm -hmm. to the USA? Yeah, I, I, I can actually, uh, I can, I can speak to that. Actually, I'm originally from Oklahoma, so I have a little bit of that Texas bubble. Um, <laughs> but um, so I would say that, like in in China, at least, it, it seems to me that there's definitely more emphasis placed on education in general, uh, and there's also more kind of engineering, math. Um, you know, it's it's a good pursuit. Um, you know, such to the fact that when we go, my daughter moved back, she was in third grade. She was so far ahead of everybody. She felt really great. But then after two years or so in the United States, she, I think she kind of slowed down a little bit. And she, she, she got some of that social pressure about, oh, math and science is not so cool, hmm. you know. How old was um, she at that time, uh, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, she, she was uh, in third grade. So I see. That was, yeah, about nine, eight or nine, something like that. Yeah, so as she got older, you know, she, she started hanging out with more friends, more social culture, more pop culture. And I think there's something in the pop culture that tries to paint science maybe as not so hot, you know, in kids' lives. And I don't think that's a good thing. Uh, I was lucky. I had a really great physics teacher back in high school, and uh, he was, like, really transformational. I mean, he was, he was great. Yeah, Brad Rouser. <laughs> he was good. He, he was former DOE guy, but he, he was taught, he treated kids with respect, uh, and he was open to everybody, uh, and uh, he made things simple. So, mm. yeah. And I had heard from other people the reputation of education in Beijing and then other parts of China. I don't know if, if can it go too far, like the emphasis on STEM education or just education in China? Is that not a fair judgment? Uh, I mean, I, I, I think it is, but I think modern parents, they, they also, you know, they, they know what the kids are going through to mm -hmm. some extent, right? You know, they, they've been through it before. I, I think they also start to understand the importance of this kind of well-roundedness a little bit mm -hmm. more. It doesn't mean there's not a lot of classes, but the classes are maybe more diversified. So, you know, you have, you have some sport, you have some music, you have some, you know, academic stuff, right? <laughs> and, and then also getting kids out to have experiences, um, like in the real world, like trips and things like that. Um, and this is China you're talking about? Like the, I'm talking about China. I'm not talking yeah. about Hong Kong. Yeah. But David can talk about Hong Kong. Yeah, David. Well, yeah. So I, I, I don't know if your uh, uh, listeners know, uh, Hong Kong is, uh, is a kind of like a metropolitan city population of about uh, seven and a half million people. So compared to China, we're just like a drop in a bucket. Uh, but uh, it's a pretty comfortable city to live in now. So after, you know, decades of, of, of growth, economic growth and everything, it's, so I read the, not too long ago, Hong Kong sort of has a standard of living similar to like a Canada. So for, for those people who know Canada, Hong Kong is sort of like that. It's, it's not a bad place to live. It's pretty safe. Uh, 
public transport is super clean and very efficient. Um, the government is is very well aware of uh, STEM education. Uh, they've allocated uh, money to all the public schools uh, for STEM education, and so one of the first things they buy is a three D printer. Uh, and so this actually another reason why I think this our cookbook should be okay because um, it, it's exactly what like what Micah was describing. Uh, yes, they have the government funding to buy a three D printer, but that printer is most likely just sitting in the corner collecting dust. Uh, and yeah, so so that's that's what we're trying to do. I, I it, it could really also go just goes back to you know saving time. I mean, the teachers here in Hong Kong they're already uh, overwhelmed by you know you have all these exams they got to mm. prepare the children for. They just you know you know asking them to learn CAD is like ah it's too much. Yeah. So it's actually really similar. It sounds to the pressures in the U.S. pressures on teachers and education in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. it is very similar. Very similar. Thanks so much for answering all my questions so far. I'm, I know you mentioned where to uh, find more information about your new book. Last question, though, do you have any plans for the future, whether it's with this book or if you're going to be teaching in person again and where people could find you if they wanted to experience your classes? I'll, I'll go ahead. So actually, another one of my projects is this kind of personal knowledge management system kind of thing um, that I'm working on. So. Uh, I, I kind of want to kind of pursue that after this. Um, yeah, kind of mm. make make all your notes and stuff easier to kind of bring together in your head, basically. Cool. Yeah, for, for me, we're, we're going to focus on marketing the book uh, for a while, uh, at least for mm-hmm. myself. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, now we, we say also say in the book that, you know, sometimes these softwares get updated uh, once in a while. So maybe in two or three years, we need to come back and do a new edition with yeah. new... Uh, right. With new screenshots, uh, but but you know, other than that, Pais, you told me beforehand that you teach math, right? That's correct. Yeah. So, also during my COVID uh, time, I, I I took online classes for calculus. Now, oh wow! <laughs> I, I, I told you all. I you know I come from a, a finance background, a business background, so I know nothing about engineering. So I I, I went through three courses in calculus, uh, college level. Uh, I'm starting to learn physics next. Hey, congratulations. That's uh, intense. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy intense. Uh, it's because we're just stuck at home. What are you going to do? You just got to do something. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, 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 and also, I did some volunteer work. So here in Hong Kong, there's a group of uh, – um, there's an organization uh, that is trying to encourage young people to look into outer space as a career path. Hmm. And one of the features, key features of that is 3D printing. So one of the courses that they're trying to uh, look into is to see if we can get some um, kids in Hong Kong to build their own CubeSats. So CubeSats, uh, I don't know if you know or not know, but they're these little 10 by 10 by 10 CM uh, boxes that have electronics in them. So uh, you know, the, something basic is like it's got to be able to take a picture, right? So mm-hmm. you, put, you put your uh, uh, camera inside the CubeSat. Right, you launch it into orbit, and then while it's in orbit, it has to take some pictures, and it sends the data back down to Earth to your laptop. Now that CubeSat has electronic components as well as the outer casing, which can be three D printed. So th- this is sort of like my next evolution as as, a, as an explorer in this tech space, uh, because because yeah. I don't have the engineering background, which is I want to take the next step, which is to go see uh, how I can get into electronics, 
learn the physics, uh, explore outer space, and uh, see where that can take me. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And then you can write a book about it so teachers can follow your lead. Uh, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Uh, So David Sito, Michael Welsh, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I hope that more people check out your new project and your new book. Thank you. Thank you for for giving us this opportunity to tell tell everybody. Yeah, thanks a lot, Pius. That was David Sito and Michael Welch, authors of The 3D Printing Cookbook. To find links to the books, Tinkercad or Fusion 360 editions, look in the show notes for this episode. You can also find links to the books and other topics mentioned today at the show website, k12engineering.net. The K12 Engineering Education Podcast is sponsored by my creative studio, Pios Labs, in Austin, Texas, where I consult on engineering and education, making podcasts, programming educational technology, training professionals, and more. Follow Pios Labs all over the internet to stay updated. That's P-I-O-S-L-A-B-S. This podcast is possible thanks to amazing people passionate about education and engineering who donate to the show to help me pay for streaming services, equipment, and all around just keeping it up. You can donate too on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash Labs. Also, you can help the show by giving it five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you're listening to it on. That helps get more people listening to these STEM education issues. So, listener, thank you, and until next time.